of you are already thinking this, uh, that are Messiah lovers. You are already singing this in your head as Brooke read the words. Thanks, Wendell. Those words from Handel's Messiah come from Malachi 3.3, and he shall purify the sons of Levi. And then that next line, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. I love Handel's Messiah because it's all scripture, and we've seen some of them pop up, some of the words from the Messiah pop up here in our study through uh, the Minor Prophets. A couple weeks ago, we heard a little clip, or we saw a little clip from Haggai where it was, uh, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, and we uh, saw those wonderful words uh, put to music there. All of the texts have to do, are from Scripture. All of them have to do with Messiah. And this one, though, we want to press into a little bit of what does this one mean about purifying the sons of Levi that they might offer a, a offering of, of righteousness. And so we're going to figure that out as we press into Malachi, who was our uh, final uh, minor prophet, uh, the end of our series. But I'm going to do one more time, our third time this time, we've got to do the timeline thing again. Some of you know what that is. So I instantly need not 15 this time, but I need 16 volunteers really fast all the way across the front of the church. By the time I get down to Megan, I need them up here. Okay, now, real quick. 15, any age, anybody, anybody? Just a little biblical review. No, line up, line up. Thank you for your offer of help, Jason. But yeah, so, okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. You can maybe share one down there. Okay, good. All right. Okay, Silas, creation. You got Silas? Okay, okay. Jason, you get to hold, hold on about fall into sin, Okay. Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph, Egyptian captivity, Moses, Passover, Exodus, Judges, the United Kingdom, divided kingdom. You got it, Caden? All right, hold it up. All right, stay away from those flames. Okay, Rose, North, South, Judah, Exile, Sea, and Restoration, Silence. And you get to hold Jesus, Maria. And I need one more. I need one more person. You okay? You want to? Okay. Well, oh, here, here, here. This is a new one. I didn't have this the last two times. This, this is where we are now after the after Jesus. Okay. So everything starts. God created everything. Creation. There was a fall in sin, and ever since then, Kayla's already introduced this. But ever since then, God has been calling us back. Return to me. And so He spoke through Father Abraham, and then Abraham's sons Isaac and Jacob, and then Joseph went down into Egypt in his captivity. But Moses said, "Set my people free," and they got out in the Exodus, and they came back to the land, and they were in a period of a couple hundred years of under rule of the judges. And then God gave them kings because they said, "We want a king." So they were in the United Kingdom, and they had three kings. Who are they? They were Saul, David, Solomon. Then it all fell apart. There's a divided kingdom for hundreds and hundreds of years with Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Israel got wiped out by the Assyrians. Judah fell to Babylon, and they all went into exile. Hold that one up. Hold that up. Exile in. Where were they in exile? In Babylon. And then they came back, and we've been in this period of the restoration. And then... For four, after, after Malachi spoke for 400 years of silence, and finally then, Miria, hold it high. The answer is always Jesus, yeah. But now we live in the period of the church where God continues to call us back, too. So give them a hand, and they do a great job. You can just drop them on the floor. Just drop them on the floor. That's great. Thank you, team. Bible history in just a couple minutes there. So uh, 
Where's Malachi? He's way over here at the very end of that restoration period, back where Haggai was, back at this time where they've come back from Babylon, they have rebuilt the temple, they have rediscovered the word of God. And as Malachi finishes his words, we enter into these 400 years of silence from God, of longing for this Messiah to come, until finally the next prophet, the very last Old Testament prophet, actually shows up at the beginning of the New Testament, and that's John the Baptist. He was in kind of the same period as Nehemiah, who was not a prophet, but it was a builder, and it's a time period when they were rebuilding the walls and the temple. And they were dealing with the same kinds of issues still. They were, even, even though they've come back to the temple, after a few generations passed, the Jewish people became complacent. They became more and more insincere in their worship. They were kind of dialing it in, going through the motions. They lost interest. The priests had become corrupt and careless in their duties and in their offerings. And so Malachi says, we will purify the sons of Levi, who are the priests, and they will now bring offerings in righteousness rather than the kind that they've been bringing. Malachi holds out hope that the Messiah will come. Actually, it comes in the form of sort of a threat. Malachi holds out hope that he, the Messiah, would come soon to purify the priests, to re-energize and to renew worship where the offerings are sincere and are an indication of new righteousness for the people of God. And that's the hope that comes in Malachi, that there would again be a reformation within the church and that there would be sincerity in worship. But Malachi's message comes through and it's, he's not a very, it's not a very happy message. God is not happy with his people. God has been faithful to his people over and over again, but they have been unfaithful to him. And so with very stern words, though, through Malachi, once again, God calls them back. We've talked about doom being sort of a theme that comes to the minor prophets. And Malachi is a little bit doomy and gloomy when you get into him. But we still see God calling his people back. And so for the final week, we say this, that the message of the minor seems to major on doom until we see it as part of this bigger message of our loving God calling his people back. Return to me and I will return to you, says God. And calling us back to live aligned with his good purposes. And those holy and hopeful lives are the focus. And as they're called back, we are too. So we look at today then. At the very end, at the very end of the Old Testament, come some doom words to a people who had again become spiritually complacent. As followers of Christ, we are called back to faithfulness and hope with them. So we're going to look at Malachi in terms of, first of all, God's faithfulness that never stops. We see God is unchanging and consistent. And then we look at Reflect, reflect on our faithfulness based on what we see about the people of Malachi's day. And my two words are, it needs work. It needs work. And thirdly, a return to faithfulness. And Malachi puts it very clearly. He said, it is your choice and it is our choice as well. Will we follow? Will we return to God? So let's look at these. God's faithfulness is unchanging and consistent. We search in Malachi, we search everywhere in Scripture for evidence of God's love and grace and promise. And they're just kind of a little tiny bit here and there in Malachi. Uh, There's just a couple little verses, but they're really not terribly warm. It's kind of like God says, I love you, but I'm not happy with you. It's sort of like a parent saying to a child, I'm only doing this because I love you. And, uh, And then the punishment or the whatever happens. I have to give you a little bit of a note about Malachi's style. He writes it like a dialogue between God and people. 
God, God saying this, and then God says, but you say this, and I say this. The people are not just complacent, they are actually defensive too. They don't, they, 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 they say, God says, you have done this, and they, we haven't done anything wrong, where have we done anything wrong? So there's almost this sort of a, almost an arrogant response that comes back from the people as Malachi writes this. Kind of like, where are you, God? You're not, where, what are you doing? Malachi has seven different instances where the people are recorded as challenging God. Now, his love is a little hard to discover him here, but the very first words of the prophet after the introduction uh, say this. This is a message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. But in chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you. But you ask, how have you loved us? (laughs) Yeah, prove it. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned this hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. The Israelites are the descendants of Jacob. I have loved you ever since then. And how have I shown that love? Well, I've taken out your enemies. I protected you. I preserved you. I've been faithful to you. But the people are doubting it. They're not seeing the evidence that they'd like to see, which is probably something like a comfy lifestyle. (laughs) In Malachi 3, 6, and 7, it says this. The Lord says this. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Now, do you hear any love in that? Do you hear God's evidence of love? You deserve to be destroyed, and I haven't destroyed you. Equal, I love you. (laughs) That's about it. You deserve to be destroyed, and I haven't. So there, I love you, see? <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that, this poster of a, of a mom. If the kids are still alive at the end of the day, I say, job well done, you know? I mean, I haven't, they're alive. I didn't kill them. But in a way, this actually is grace. This is the unchanging love and faithfulness of God. I haven't destroyed you because I love you. But can you hear their response to it? It's kind of a snotty little arrogant response. How can we return to you when we've never gone away? You know, rewriting history, huh? <laughs> but still God gives evidence of his faithfulness in the promises that are here. We read all through the end of chapter 3 and then chapter 4 of God's promises of mercy, of joy to come, of healing of the Messiah. It's hard to see it at first, but God's faithfulness comes through here. God's faithfulness, God's promises are yes, and God's promises are amen. But as we see the persistent unfaithfulness of the people of Malachi's day, we reflect on our own faithfulness, and we see as the people of Malachi's day needed work, maybe ours do as well. So let's look at some of these. There's at least four areas in Malachi that he addresses in this area of unfaithfulness. First of all, he talks about their worship, and he calls people to be offering, uh, offering their best. Let me read a little bit from chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? If you priests who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt to your name? And God says, by offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? And God answers, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? 
Try offering them to the governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Do you see what's going on here? You have to kind of translate back into that day that offerings of food and, and, and animal sacrifices was part of their worship, was part of their honoring God, their commitment to God, their, 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 their repentance, and it was their whole system of worship. And basically, they were really kind of taking it easy. They were supposed to offer pure animals, and they were offering diseased animals. They were bringing the wrong kind of food. They were bringing the leftovers and the things that had probably started to grow funny things on them. I don't know what it was, but somehow they were not bringing acceptable sacrifices to God. And they're defending themselves and saying, when did we do that? And God said, you did it here, 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 and here. They were shoddy, second-rate sacrifices. They were not honoring God. And it's not so much that God insisted on perfect animals because he liked them, but because he wanted people's full devotion. It showed their full devotion. And it anticipates the perfect, blameless sacrifice to come in the Messiah. Basically, these people were going through the motions of worship. There was an outward compliance, but their heart was not in it. They were giving God leftovers. They were only giving part of their hearts and part of their attentions As I say, in these days, it's like playing church when our heart's not in it. This is a story I I might have used sometime, but I found it again, and I think it's good. Around Thanksgiving some years ago, radio commentator Paul Harvey, some of you are old enough to remember him, shared a true story of a woman and her frozen Thanksgiving turkey. The Butterball Turkey Company set up a telephone hotline to answer consumer questions about preparing holiday turkeys. One woman called to inquire about cooking a turkey that had been in the bottom of her freezer for 23 years. That's right, 23 years. The Butterball representative told her that it would probably be safe to eat if the freezer had been kept below zero for the entire 23 years. But the Butterball representative warned her that even if the turkey was safe to eat, the flavor would probably have deteriorated to such a degree that she would not recommend eating it. The caller replied, that's what I thought. We'll give the turkey to our church. (laughs) Or our old sofa. (laughs) Or our vacuum cleaner that doesn't work well enough at home so maybe the church could use it. Things like that. You know, I I hope I'm not stepping on any toes, but you're, you're kind of getting it here a little bit. Yeah. God wants our best. <laughs> and, and not so much in those kinds of things, certainly, but in terms of our worship and our hearts and our commitment. We don't, it's not about our animals, but what, what is giving our best in worship? What, what kind of things will we put there? It's, a, it, it's, 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 you did it today. You showed up. Thank you. You're here. You said, well, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in God's house today and be part of the worshiping community that is Naperville Covenant. We give it our best by showing up and participating. Not when it's the most, uh, it's only, it's the best option for the day when all the other options fell through. And sometimes Sundays have to be that way. But it's also giving our attention. It's also giving things our priority. It's seeking to meet God and it's seeking to honor God. And it's, it, and, it's, um, and it's not coming just to get a good feeling to get us through the week, although that sometimes may be all we can pull together. But it's to get that reconnected. It's responding to that, coming back to God and being aligned with his purposes in a world that continues to kind of fight against what we're trying to do sometimes. We need our solidarity together. And that's what we need to bring as well. And it does have to do with the quality of our actual worship how we sing and how we put a program together. But it's all of that together, 
of bringing our best for God and not just going through the motions. In the middle of this long section on worship, the focus is especially on the priests. And it says, he shall purify the sons of Levi. And boy, they really needed it. Their faithfulness needed work. And so the second area here, we talk about worship and, and uh, bringing our best. And secondly, it's is kind of something about those who are in ministry, the priests. And I, I call it no whining. No whining. See, not only were the Levites the ones who were suffering, uh, bringing the offerings of lame animals and stuff, God says this to them. He says, you say, quote, it's too hard to serve the Lord. I mean, <clears throat> it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your nose at his commands, says the Lord Almighty. It's too hard to serve the Lord. Can you imagine that, Pastor Diana? It's easy, isn't it? Every day is a dream when we come. No, I'm serious. Um, <laughs> but imagine that. They were, can you imagine whining, complaining clergy? You know, I don't get time off. I am on call 24-7. I have to work on Sundays. Low wages and high expectations. It's a huge job description. They expect me to walk up the DuPage River. Then I, Oops, that wasn't supposed to be in there. But... Um, <laughs> Some of that might be true. Sometimes guilty as charged, whining about the difficulties of it. But this, is, but this isn't just for the clergy at this point. Some of those might have a little legitimacy in some circumstances, but God calls us to faithfulness in serving him. And yes, we need to be careful in our own sense to have our own boundaries and our own margins so that we can serve effectively, but also pull back to rest well so that we can serve effectively. And it's the same in a volunteer position it's the same in the ways you commit yourselves to your family and to your work. We need to trust God to help us set those limits as well as do hard work and sometimes realize it's just going to be hard and sometimes it's not going to be fun and sometimes there won't be the rewards that we think we might deserve. And the Levites in Malachi's day were saying, it's too hard to serve the Lord. But see, it's hard for them because their hearts weren't in it. They didn't believe in the reasons they were doing it. So of course it became hard. A third area where the faithfulness was lagging was in relationships. He speaks specifically about marriage, but also in general ways. ways. He speaks of mixed marriages in Malachi 2.10. He says, do, not, do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judas, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable, a detestable thing has been committed in Israel. And in Jerusalem, Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. Now, all through the Old Testament history, God forbids his people to marry people from other nations. But this was not a racial purity thing. This is not, doesn't have anything to do with racial purity. It has to do with spiritual purity. Because, frankly, a lot of Bible heroes do marry people from other nations and they don't get condemned. They get welcomed into the line of Christ, actually. But it was about spiritual purity because so often these foreign-born wives or husbands, mostly wives in the Bible, led their spouse away to other gods with a small g. And it's still going on here at the end of the Old Testament period. And in our day and age, the Old Testament, we need to realize the Old Testament and New Testament still speak about being what we call equally yoked. And while there's ex- exceptions and stories, we, we, seem to, we need to see that if God is number one in our life, a life partner, partner ought to be in a similar, if not same place. There's a lot that's left unsaid, and I'm not going to do a, a sermon on marriage or divorce, but that's part of what he presses into here as he speaks of faithfulness. In fact, the very famous I hate divorce passage is in, this, uh, is in Malachi as well. 
but it's not so much a forbidding of it or uh, certainly not anything to make a divorced person feel guilty, but it's God calling attention to faithfulness to him and to vows and to commitments. I want to move on a little bit here and look at the fourth area where faithfulness is called to, and that's in giving, uh, in, in the giving of offerings, uh, righteousness offerings, he says. In fact, this is where one of those great tithing verses is. In fact, if you've been in church for very long and much of your life and you've heard stewardship sermons, you know that really pastors, when they write a stewardship sermon, they go to like three or four passages and you hear them over and over again, right? You know, you hear the one about set a portion aside at the week and you hear all those sermons. Well, the, the store, go into the storehouse and it'll overflow and all that one. You've heard that one. How many have heard sermons on the, you know, bring the full tithe into the storehouse? Malachi, that's where it is, right here. This is the tithing verse, and so God has said that, and the people say, how much, how faithful to the God who has been faithful to me. But here comes this passage that speaks of bringing our gifts in. And it's a reminder here, and the people have been cheating him, basically. God, I'm not going to read that text. It's in 3, verses 8 through 12. But we have here the God who owns it all with everything that belongs to him. And, uh, and, and we honor him, we are faithful to him when we return something back to him. We say that weekly when we... Uh, when we pray for our offering. This tithing was a very clear command in the Old Testament, and many will say that the tithing is not commanded in the New Testament. True, it's not. Jesus commends a widow for giving actually 100%, so there's the biblical... Um, uh, so if you're, if you're, you might want to go back to the Old Testament where it's only 10%. <laughs> um, and then there's the, Jesus commending the... Um, uh, he tells the rich young ruler to give everything too. And then Zacchaeus, once he's converted, gives 50%. So if you want the biblical command, there, it's all over the place. 1 Corinthians 16 speaks of a weekly proportionate giving. So many say the tithe is a good place to start, the Old Testament tithe, or at least something proportional. But the most important thing, and again, this is not a sermon on marriage and divorce, it's not a sermon on tithing, although I snuck that in there. Um, it's a sermon on faithfulness. And coming to back to God with our hearts and giving for the right reasons and committed to God's purposes in the way we live and the people that we worship and serve with as well. It's that faithfulness of God, believing that God will be faithful, that even if I give a portion of my income away, God will take care of all my needs. It's also looking at my heart commitment and honoring God. And then there is that part in Malachi of the blessings overflowing, and sometimes that comes as well in response to our faithfulness and our giving. So these are just some things that needed work in Malachi's day. The worship that was maybe not quite sincere. The, the complaining sometimes that life and ministry and serving is too hard. The not keeping commitments and relationships and in our giving. It's the faithfulness that sometimes need work, needs work, needed work in Malachi's day needs it in our days as well. But finally, the scriptures end with this return to faithfulness, a call to choose. In Malachi's prophecy, God is calling us back. Um, and, uh, and really, the answer is coming in the person, Jesus. Malachi also predicts the forerunner who will come uh, to prepare his way at the end of this period of silence. In Malachi 3.1, it says, Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look so eagerly for, is surely coming, says the Lord Almighty. And it speaks of John the Baptist says even more here in aligns him and it's that prophecy that says that he will be like Elijah returning. And that's prophesied in the Old Testament and it's fulfilled in the New Testament when John the Baptist's own father, Zechariah, says, he who is Elijah has come. And, but more importantly than all that history is it said, and he will turn 
your hearts towards God. He will turn your hearts to God. Turn back to faithfulness. Faithfulness to the faithful one. Return to God and return to one another. The very last words of the Old Testament, the very last words of the Old Testament are not very happy. They are, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Praise God. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. The Old Testament begins and ends with a choice. The choice at the very beginning, or almost at the very beginning, or shortly after the creation of male and female, was the second card that Jason was holding today. It says, fall. The choice was, will God be number one? Will we do life according to God's plan, the way he set it up, to create us to live in perfect fellowship with him, with our free will, and yet choosing to follow him, and to live in the fullness of his purpose for us, to flourish as his creation? Will we choose to live that way, or will we choose to do life our own way? And ever since Adam and Eve, it's been, we'll do it our way, God, we'll check in with you when we get into trouble. Over and over and over and over again. Until God finally sends Jesus and says, here now is your choice again. The Old Testament began with a choice back there in the garden, and then here at the close of the Old Testament is the choice, will you return to me? Or will there be total destruction? And all of a sudden, this period of silence, and God breaks through with the fulfillment of his prophecy and the coming of Christ. And now the choice we make is to be faithful to God by trusting his son, Jesus Christ. Trusting him fully. Trusting him with our whole life and our whole commitment. The minor prophets have given us this choice over and over again, and the choice continues to come to us in Jesus Christ. Let's close with just a moment of silence and reflect on your own choice to follow Christ. If you have done that or you have not done that, let us reflect on our choice to follow Christ and pray prayers in silence of returning to God and then I will close our time. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you again for your call in our life. This call to return, to return to faithfulness. We thank you that there's grace in that. That you have not chosen to destroy us. But you've chosen to send us a Savior in Jesus. Lord, we confess today how easy it is to wander away and let our attention shift. To let our worship be haphazard. Our serving to be obligatory and our giving to be not from our best. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to take this message from the minor prophets today and return to you with our fullness of our heart to live into your purposes and to honor you in all things. We pray this in Jesus, the Messiah's name. Amen.